Alexis is a conqueror. No, I'm Alexander. He's no Alexander. I'm the best ever. There's never right. been anybody as right. I'm Sonny Liston. I'm Jack Dempsey. There's no one like me. I'm from their club. There's no one that can match me. My style is impetuous. My defense is impregnable. And I'm just ferocious. I want your heart. I want to eat your children. It was just banter. Stay off the weed. And England win on penalties. History in itself. You know, I think it's a great city. I think they got the best organization in the NBA. But they do have some big old wins. I'm here with the winner, Derek Lewis. Derek, why don't you take your pants off? Balls are fun. I understand. Come on, take it quickly, Reggie! Yeah. Yes, he's back. That one, he's in the fucking reserves. Listen, I ain't gonna forget about this by the time we get him by the way. Hello and welcome to episode 253 of the Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined as always by Tom Kennett. And Jack Harper. No Alex Jones today. He's still off, uh, well, doing whatever he's doing, holiday, racing, whatever he wants to call it. Um, we did originally plan to do it in person due to there being only three of us, but um, not with COVID, but I do have an infected household. So I thought the last thing Jack or TK want is to probably be coming into my house and then uh, blaming me when they catch a cold afterwards. So I can clarify that nice and quick there. Yeah. Well, Didn't want to go into an infected house and walking out with something. Kind of clarify it was a cold. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Especially after what uh, diseases you've been talking about earlier today. Anyway, lots to get into today. And I say that always, but that genuinely is a lot to get into today. We will be hearing from uh, Olivier Giroud and Denver Bar um, in person. Um, <laughs> hopefully their mics work. Uh, we'll talk about Ollie, as seems to be the case after every uh, United L. Uh, news of the week. Mo Salah, is he the best in the world? Does it matter? Um, Raheem Sterling, TK, I think you stoked this conversation in our group chat the other night, and I thought it'd be an interesting one to get into. A little bit on Newcastle as the takeover continues, and then if we have time, we'll close it out with uh, Joe Gomez versus John Stones um, in the England camp. News of the week. As always, I didn't think there was much, and then it kind of crept up. A lot's happened overnight, actually, so... Uh, I will keep you up to date, as I know, uh, as much as a sports podcast, we do keep people in the know with the news that the media doesn't want to touch. That bloody news media won't tell that you mainstream about, media won't tell you about uh, Ben White's performances compared to Harry Maguire, and they also won't tell you about Vanessa Hudgens, who says she dislikes water so much that she faints from dehydration. Wow, well, that's a conundrum, that. <laughs> How'd you get over that one? I, I can't see her name without thinking at the start of COVID, where she was like, "Look, people are gonna die," <laughs> and was shocked that she had some kind of uh, outrage in response. Yeah, she um, had a real rebrand in there, didn't she? She went from a sweet yeah. innocent girl to a psychopathic killer. She finished what she tried with her spring breakers. Um, Travis's Fran Healy is hospitalised after he's mauled by a sausage dog at a car crash scene. There's a lot to unpack there. 
Just he's mauled by a sausage dog. <laughs> he was mauled by a sausage dog. I mean, you've got to be hospitalised for embarrassment there, surely. <laughs> what? You can't be mauled by a sausage dog. <laughs> I love sausage dogs as well. <laughs> I, wonder what like, I, don't, I don't really like many dogs, but if they're like little like that, then I quite like them. Like that, that one. It's funny to look at. That. Yeah, exactly. Well, the, you say it's a guy from Travis. Did you say that? Yeah, Travis is Fran Healy. Fucking hell. That's not the comeback they needed. No. <laughs> um, the Undertaker says he's flattered to find out that Margot Robbie is such a huge fan. Dragon's going to shoot his shot. Um, he did in as part of the interview say, I mean, obviously she's a very beautiful woman. But I mean that and he kind of clarified, not that it matters. Um a fan is a fan, but we knew what he meant. I'd love um, to the Undertaker just to DM her with a <laughs> gif of himself sitting up in his coffin. Fancy a last ride, he says with a little <laughs> wink in there. Um you don't just let rip in someone's face like that. Tattoo artist who had his beard set on fire when a fart from his client caught his cigarette. <laughs> what? I wonder what he did. This was in England, by the way, and it was a buttock tattoo. It's a northern woman. Oh, wow. Yeah. She says, um, but <laughs> these things happen. Uh, don't know why he's getting so worked up about it. <laughs> I love that he's smoking while he's doing this. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, just so people do know, the, these headlines aren't made up. We got this week, um, worst date ever. Woman says she was tricked into buying 100 tacos from Taco Bell. <laughs> Continuation. Uh, pub landlady commissions bizarre portrait of herself made entirely out of Yorkshire puddings. Okay. <laughs> this is a great week. Drug... <laughs> Drug lord Pablo Escobar's herd of cocaine hippos are sterilised to stop them wreaking environmental havoc. <laughs> Refreshingly honest billionaire says media purchase will be used for propaganda. <laughs> Imagine if the Saudis had done that in Newcastle. Yeah, yeah. yeah obviously, there's a sports washing. What else are we going to be doing? They should have got that GB news. Uh, they'd have been all over it. Man bruised all over after he uses his own body to defend his Toyota Supra from a hailstorm. Not really a car guy to know if that's a car worth putting your body on the line for, but this guy loves his car. Disappointed burglar leaves note because there wasn't enough money to steal. (laughs) A Washington museum is continuing to preserve a 95-year-old sandwich. Jeff Bezos says he finds the concept of Squid Game interesting. Oh, that's not what we need to hear. <laughs> <laughs> um, long headline here. Um, nurse thought she was being secretly hypnotised at work and made to fart. The nurse insisted she was suffering from unwelcome gastrointestinal disturbances at work, including flatulence. She's lost a tribunal after saying she was unfairly dismissed after claiming she was being possessed and gaslighted. This was in Preston, by the way. Good Lord. Can you imagine being dismissed for farting? Imagine taking that to a tribunal. No, no. Someone here hypnotised me, and I want to know who it was. <laughs> and finally, Good Samaritan, who helped Stranger fix bicycle, realised it was his own stolen bike. My words. More UK news than usual. So uh, our American audience uh, is uh, our American audience is shaking its fist at us saying, see, 
It happens to all of you. Florida man will be back, don't worry. I did see, actually, I meant to take this down. I saw it on Twitter. There was a Florida man that was arrested <laughs> after um, threatening a vet and telling them to uh, make his dog immortal because he didn't want to see it die. Yeah. Oh, God. Um, was that not on last week's? I could have sworn that was. I don't think it was. I think um, we it may have been posted in a group chat or maybe we both just saw it on our timelines. Um, but there we go. That is your news of the week. Something that isn't news to anyone. Man United are god-awful. And uh, <laughs> Gunnar Solskjaer is on the chopping block again. Uh, he's told his players they need to look themselves in the mirror after their horror run of form continued with a 4-2 defeat at Leicester. The, the problem is, he's kind of damned if he does, damned if he doesn't. Bernardo, <laughs> he's tried dropping him and he got absolutely slated. <laughs> but he plays it, which leaves them dangerously unbalanced with the press and like, him not tracking back. And he was a, a big portion of why they lost that game because of just how open they were because of... Careful, Jack. You're going to get us killed. <laughs> well, there was something I, I think is interesting is, um, TK, you, you tweeted um, after the game saying all this kind of result showed is how, I'm paraphrasing, deluded people are really when it comes to United that this was considered a shock. Mm. Um I do a predictor each week with a guy at my work and I I did pick United to win and partly Leicester had been awful. And also, whether it's PTSD from our youth, no matter how bad United are, I still just can never put in my head that they won't find a way to win. Obviously, you uh, were able to do that. Yeah, in normal circumstances, I do agree with you as well. Uh, I tend to just assume now I'm probably thinking they're going to beat us next week for example um, but yeah there's just something about this I thought I didn't think Maguire was going to be playing he may as well not other fairness he was god awful yeah. um, so I thought him and Varane were out I thought them away at Leicester who I agree the only concern to me was their own form but I think they're a, a better more balanced team you know they've got better individuals yeah. and a bigger squad but I think when both both teams are at it currently I think I think you'd pick Leicester. So with the defensive issue, I thought United would have. I thought that was a one of the easier picks of the weekend. It was actually closer than I probably thought in the end. Oli had his press conference on uh, Friday, Friday morning, and he said, "Look, Maguire's just touched grass for the first time since his injury." Um, so yeah, I agree with you. It was a surprise to see him then in the starting lineup. Um, like he just started walking for the first time. Yeah. The game wasn't on TV, and I was like, kind of tuned out for me. I actually didn't really check the score until right at the end of the game. So I saw United go 1 0 up, saw the Greenwood uh, fun, fun fair, and thought, I don't really need to see any more of this. Um, and then and the next thing you know, I, I, I tuned in, they'd gone up, and it was the last 10 minutes, they went 2 1 up, United made it 2 2, and then they pulled away at the end. Yeah. R- rough game, that, that one Maguire one. He doesn't know where he is, does he? Which one? I mean, he gives it away. <laughs> Thielemans is gone, and you yeah. can say the same there. But that smacks of player not up to pace. I, we've all done that in five side where we think the ball's coming to us, and you stop and you just hope that it does. <laughs> As a footballer, a Premier League footballer, you shouldn't be doing that. Where you leave the ball coming across, you think, please come to me. If it doesn't, I'm going to look like a fucking idiot. And that's exactly what happened to him. He looked like an absolute fucking idiot. There's the one from a set piece where someone 
seems to have put a clip on Twitter, just almost like isolated. So it's a horrible like, clip for him. He's well. literally just watching <laughs> him. And is it Ian Acho at the back post then? Um, dabs it in. Um, Aka. Aka, yeah. It's yeah. a bad Liverpool's look, uh, target from uh, earlier in the window. Um, and yeah, that that was a bad look. But the way I did see it is, as I referenced earlier, someone saying, uh, Ben White has an all right game against Brentford and everyone's goes mad. Media aren't highlighting this though, are they? I mean, everyone That else, was the big headline of the week. <laughs> yeah, it, does, it doesn't... The, rest, the media doesn't need to because you'll be damn sure that the Twitter will. Yeah, so... I, mean, I think Maguire gets enough heat. I mean, I think everyone is on his back. That comparison there between Ben White and him. He was running like everyone was on his back. Christ. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we've had times before, I mean... If you search spitballing pod Ollie out, it probably is going to bring up upwards of 10 episodes of the <laughs> amount of times where we've discussed it. And any time we get to lost. the point, yeah, well, usually we, we've had points before, haven't we, where it does look like it's up, it looks like the, the jig is up, like they can't keep putting up with this. So, usually we get goff on for <laughs> those uh, circumstances. I remember after the loss to, um, Spurs 6-1 at Old Trafford. It's kind of like, okay, if he's still kept his job here, there's something fishy going on. And I was reading an article today where they said, essentially any time United would be in position to kind of have a discussion within themselves at the club to say, like, what, what are we doing here? United have done that thing, haven't they? We've, we've spoken about under pressure, Ollie. Yep. And I think he came back and he beat City uh, one time when he was under pressure. He got a draw of Liverpool, beat Chelsea, um, I seem to recall. He always pulls it out there, pulls it out of a hat when needed. But according to sources at the Athletics today, I'll say that like I'm a part of them, there are people now within his kind of entourage that are getting a bit concerned. Whether it's because usually they have the big loss and then you look at the fixtures and it's like, okay, we can get back on track here. And these don't look like that. But does something feel a bit different this time around to you? Uh, the problem is that you know for a fact that he's going to shithouse a result against Liverpool and probably against Chelsea. Um, like these are the teams that he loses to, and he plays well, against he big teams, and it all just it just goes so negative, and it, all the teams kind of get dragged down to his level. So he, he's a genius in that sense. Well, I'll tell you the, the fixtures, and if we kind of say here what we think would be an acceptable set of points for them where the pressure is at least relieved from him. Um, I don't want us to, to say kind of the bare minimum and we're still in the same position. Enough that people kind of feel like the foot's been taken off his neck. Um, so the upcoming fixtures, they have Atalanta at home on Wednesday, um, Liverpool at home on Sunday, Spurs away the following week, Atalanta away after that, City at home, and then an international break. So if we do what's up to the international break, I can tell you what's after, but I feel like that's the set of fixtures that he's going to be judged on first. The international break's also a very handy time to sack a manager, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so, Champions League, do you think he's going to be judged on that? Because when we've seen previously, almost the Europa League saved him when he's dropped into that because it looks like they're pushing for a trophy like we saw last year. Do you think losses... So Atalanta, either home or away, play into whether he's sacked or not. 
I think Oli is so bad that he's got this squad and you've just asked the question, do you reckon he's going to be judged on losing a Champions League group game to Atalanta? But he's got a squad with Cavani, Ronaldo, Sancho, Greenwood, Bruno Fernandes, Pogba in it. Rafa Varane as well. I so, mean, so do, you, do you think the United board are that fussed about the Champions League compared to the league? I think this will play in. I do hear what you're saying about the Europa last year, but I do think another year on, I think they have yeah. to get through the group and I don't think you can sign Ronaldo and not get through the group. That's not no. what he came back for and I don't think... Um, and so I think those games are bigger than are being looked at. People are concentrating on the league games because they've got the likes of, obviously, Liverpool and City coming up. But if they can't get a positive result in those Atlanta games, yeah. it's going to get right on top of them. I saw someone point out that previously when they had had these moments of pressure, he was able to point out and say, look, we're a squad in transition. I'm still yeah, effectively dealing with the mess that Jose <laughs> left for me. And he, I think, I believe he named Jose a couple of times and said, look, he would word it as that we have different ideas of the kind of squad that we would like to have, etc. Um, with this, it feels like the excuses are out. We've done this before. You sign Ronaldo, that's effectively... Yeah, your chips are on the table, aren't they? You're going for yeah. it. So, Do you think if we were to go back to deadline day and we had Ollie on the podcast, we said, look, Ollie, we can take this bit out if you need us to. <laughs> would you would you sign him again? Like we go back in time, well, we can undo this if you want. If you to take some pressure off, do you the think pro- he signs him again or not? The the problem with this is that if they don't sign him, he goes to City and there's yeah. Man- yeah. Manchester turns into an absolute war zone. <laughs> Ollie's not blamed for that though, is he? If he goes to City, that's not on Ollie. No, but, no, but the club is, isn't it? Yeah, it'd yeah. just be another kind of bow in the quiver of the people that want the Glazers. Like, Why don't you go and get Ronaldo? And they did, and they're still planning a mass demonstration. <laughs> I did see your tweet I, about this, Jack. It was, it was pretty I, accurate. I, just I saw get... a picture yesterday of um, it says if, if United lose to Liverpool next week, and it was a break glass in case of emergency, and it was the um, <laughs> green and yellow scarf. <laughs> <laughs> That's excellent. Atalanta at home, then. Anything less than a win, you think the pressure's piled on? I think that will it can have a knock-on effect in it. They're not going to sack him before the Liverpool game. If they were to lose that and lose to Liverpool, I think it would be really, really pressure time. If they can get a win against that, but don't get as positive result against Liverpool, I think, whether rightly or wrongly, there's still an acceptance that Liverpool are a good team and this might happen. Last if they're two United nearly out of the Champions League and they lose to us, it's horrible. Last two United managers have been sacked a day after facing Liverpool. <laughs> Oh, I love I love the one on Jose. I can't lie. You just you knew we've killed him. <laughs> we finished him. <laughs> oh, phenomenal. So I don't want to, I don't want to kill Ollie though. I, I wanted to no, carry on no, in this no. job. <laughs> but this is the thing. Like somebody somebody to take one for the team. Here. Someone's got to throw it, haven't they? Yeah. Yeah. Just lose one of well, these games. AJ refused. We could ask him if he'd do it um, with Spurs. They're probably not going to have a choice, frankly. If people are saying that's a tough game, <laughs> I mean, if they can't beat Spurs, then you should go. The Liverpool game. Obviously, it helps the form Liverpool are in, um, in terms of the way expectations are going to be managed. Is it one of them where the result they need in the Liverpool game largely depends on the result they get against Atalanta? If you draw with Atalanta, do you have to beat Liverpool? If you beat Atalanta, can you draw Liverpool? 
Mm. I, I would love United to win this just because I'm scared Liverpool in the form they are will go and beat in the season finally break Arsenal's and Invincibles. Yeah, even though um, you know it keeps Oli in the job, there is a brief moment where United fans are happy and you think, I still wish you'd lost. I know this is in everyone's <laughs> best interest, but I don't even want you having this like 20 minutes of joy before you realise what an awful establishment you're supporting. The thing is, um, it's not beyond Oli to go and win this and then go and lose to and then go and lose to Spurs. No. Right. So yeah. How, or to crash out of the Champions League. To smash yeah, us, but crash out of the Champions League in the group. You know, how is yeah. this? Lose back to back to Atlanta and then beat Liverpool. That's, mm. That is totally the Oli Brute. Peak Oli. Yeah. Yeah. If you're on the United board, Jack, and I don't know if you've played football manager before, but occasionally they used to do the thing where they would say, look, you've got to get this many points in this many games, like the papers do, where they say, give you this ultimatum. <laughs> Yeah. What points target would you be saying Oli has to hit for Liverpool home, Spurs away, City home? I think they take a draw with Liverpool at home. I think they'd definitely be looking for a win and a draw with Atalanta. So what are we on there? We're on what? No, d- disregard the Atalanta game. So Liverpool, oh, okay. so Liverpool, Spurs, City. They're the next three league games. I think they would take a draw against both City, I think, what, five points out of those games with what the target realistically should be. Do you I think, think they, anything less I, than five on his... I mean, trouble. you would have thought this, would, any other club would have probably got rid of him sooner. Because it's not so much the results here, it's the way that they're playing as well, which yeah. is the real issue. That I think Gary Neville spoke about it in the week where those games He's where they were horrific. winning... There were games where they were winning, but <laughs> he will literally name every reason why they're not winning games apart from the manager. But Carragher pointed it. out to him, he said about having five attacking players, and Carragher sent him his own tweet of his ideal United lineup with those same five players in it. <laughs> yeah, I will say was laughing that... at him for using the word nuance. <laughs> Last weekend did is it slightly separate thing, just serve as an argument, a perfect argument against the cram all your attacking players in and it'll work because it plainly doesn't. And in partial defence of him, I've witnessed him also get slagged for playing Fred and McTominay. And then when he yeah. tried to be more expansive and go programmatic, they obviously got found out again. So it's kind of they can't really win either way. <laughs> yeah, I got a lift into work with um, Mike this morning and hearing about Ollie at six thirty five is something, but um I was kind of just listening. I wasn't really doing much talking this morning. But hearing him say, uh, we all do slag off when he plays McFred. And then you see what happens when Pogba's there instead. And you wonder if this is the guy that we, we should be on our knees saying, we're giving 400 grand a week. This is, we need to give him at the club. Like, I've said it many a time. He, he, it's a hell of a curse he's got over United fans. But. They're just hoping and hoping that he's going to be their saviour. And despite all evidence to the contrary, that he plainly <laughs> isn't, they just keep going with it. So. There's, there's a thing, though, isn't there, with, with playing your attacking players. And what United should have, and Oli obviously isn't Klopp, but on paper, and I want to stress that here, on paper, United should be able to craft an attack that can at least match the goals tally of a Liverpool team. I don't know if anyone disagrees with that. No, I, I agree. No, on paper, I agree. No, yeah, that's what I literally, on, on paper. So the whole 
they have to get all these attacking players on there isn't right, is it? Like they should be able to match that goal tally. If you have Bruno and Ronaldo in there alone, from what we've said about Mane and Firmino, it should just be them after the match Salah then after that. <laughs> yeah, true. It's just I don't know if it's the way they're trained, like they don't train any kind of attacking patterns or anything. They're, it looks forward, that way. They're literally attacking their their main attacking ploy is the ball over the top and catch hopefully one of their pacey players running in behind. That mm. seems to be their only outlet. It's tough. It's easy. It, it looks like kind of a, not sour grapes, but an opposition fan talking it down. But Ronaldo's goals have been very fortunate yeah, a lot yes, of the time, you know, in the league. And that That's only lasts so long. Sorry? That's the player of the month you're talking about. <laughs> That's what I mean. His league goals have been, you know, knocks that, that fall in his way or deflection or the goalkeeping error. And eventually that, that doesn't score the goals for you. You've got to have a bit more to you. Yeah, he's yet to score a goal where he's run past a few players and slotted it tidily into the corner. It's all been saved off the keeper, like you said, and mm. rebounded and stuff. The attacking options there about wide, it wouldn't be a bad idea to just spam crosses into the box. Because few have the leap that he has in this league and he obviously knows how to find the back of the net. I, I find myself comparing to Arsenal. Like I said, I quite look forward to playing them because I do feel you can get a result. But when I look at us, I look at a team that is um, horribly overcoached in many ways in the fact that it almost has to be the perfect goal, as I've said previously. When you look at United, it's almost as if so much is based around this fluidity and look, we've got these players and Rashford can play striker and he can play on the wing. Ronaldo can play striker, he can play on the wing. Pogba can play in the middle, he can play out wide. Uh, Greenwood can play out front and out wide. But I don't know if they just don't know their jobs. It must be so hard when you're trying to defend off the ball and your whole system is based around the fluidity that you don't know which man you're supposed to be having. You don't know if you're supposed to be tracking back, if you're supposed to stay forward for a quick break. It sounds pretty simple like, that we're talking about. And obviously, we aren't Premier League coaches, but it must be pretty complicated because it looks like no one knows what their job is. It, it does kind of ring true that that all of their goals are like mix-ups, but the goals they concede, I, I mean, where like, you look at the Maguire one where he just doesn't know where the player is, you look at the one against Everton where the whole defence is rushed out and oh, this is the disallowed one, I think. But th- they just leave a man completely free on the edge of their own penalty area. I think back to that horrible one against um, Istanbul, Bashir, wherever it is, where there was just Denver no Bar. one. Yeah, we'll be there was him later. <laughs> no one in within like 10 metres of him, even though he's in his own half. They just look like they just have brain farts every time there's a transition where a ball is hoofed up and they just watch it. It's like schoolboy errors, literally, where you just want to scream from the silence, don't ball watch, go to it. TK, um, Gary Neville said the players are lazy. Mm. Do you agree with that? Is it, I mean, is it that simple? Uh, there's a degree of that. Um, obviously, wanting to do the defensive work is something some players have and some players don't. So when he gets the balance of the team wrong, that is going to get them found out. Um, but then some of the things we're talking about there, some of the individual areas you've got to say, well, look, that's not the manager's fault, that's on the player. But then there are other instances where you'd say a better coach team doesn't have this much dysfunction. And their issue is they're, they're doing an impression of a good team without actually being a good team. 
if you look at teams lower down, they don't tend to try and be a Liverpool or a Man City or a Chelsea because they know they're not, so they adapt how they play. It's no coincidence that United are able to win a game playing counter-attacking football, but when they have to be the ones that go and press, they're in a lot more trouble. And that's yeah. why they'll probably be okay against us. They'll probably get half a result. If, you know, you, you feel like a draw is probably, they never seems to be a draw often. Um, yeah. Because they're going to be able to sit in, they'll have enough threat on the counter that we'll be a little bit cautious. Um, and we're not just going to run and ragged like we did to Watford. So you'd back them in a game like that. But the problem is they're going to have us and City, are they going to be able to do that against? Maybe Chelsea. Other yeah. than that, they're not going to be able to do that against anyone else. And that's where he tends to get found out. Imagine if they'd spent that Sancho money on Declan Rice. Well, it, you don't. I don't think we're speaking too much in hindsight. Here. So I did think we did indicate no, no, that yeah, some we, of yeah. the a, a midfielder probably should have been, yeah. I think, the first port of call and f- figure everything else out later. Besides um, the first game of Matic, which after you yeah, spent that money. You, you wouldn't back Matic, Fred and McTominay to get in any of the other midfielders of the top teams in the league. And, well, you can kind of have all the other parts, but midfield is pretty crucial. I don't think <laughs> maybe saying someone midfield, and we on our starting midfield pair is Party and then Jacker. Yeah, Party is certainly better than Ormond. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It, it, would, it would certainly be a debate. Which is, if you're a top team, it shouldn't be a debate, should it? Last I, re- I reckon I take Arsenal's midfield over United. You know, I take our starting midfield of Party, yeah, Jacker, even with Jacker, Pop- yeah. I just think um, Pujak United midfield. It might be even more horrible. You think his lack of mobility in there, all on his own. <laughs> I think he'd do a better job than Matic, to be fair. It would probably look similar, in all fairness. The, the yeah. reason, well, I don't speak much about Arsenal today, is the reason some of Xhaka's best former has been with Arteta is I think he's under no illusions of what he is. He kind of has to hmm. accept these yeah. horrible moments. Yeah. You're not going to have him running around like Anders Chicken, which Wenger did try briefly. Um, so after the international break, they do then have uh, Arsenal, they have Watford, then Watford, Villarreal, Chelsea and Arsenal they have after that set of fixtures. Um, does anyone think Oli won't be the United manager after the international break? I can see Conte coming in and oh. my, my birthday weekend of Chelsea United <laughs> ruining my birthday. <laughs> so he'd still be there after the international break? Uh, no, I can see Conte coming in the international Ruining your year. And literally, it would. Oh, God. That's a ho- See, that's the thing. We're, we're laughing now, but as soon as we're going to get serious. Well, yeah, yeah. Fabrizio Romano came out and said, Man United are still backing Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. They expect the situation to improve the next weeks, of course. Not happy with the last results and team performances, but club's still protecting the manager. Ornstein said, As things stand, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer positioned as Man United manager understood to be 100% secure. Despite poor run of form, 48-year-old still has the support of NUFC board, signed new contracts and running until 2024 with option of a further year. So it's sometimes not the best thing when the journalists start to come out and say the club insiders are giving you that vote of confidence because it means they're at least having the conversations. Um, Just finally, before we move on, as if Ollie couldn't put his foot in it anymore, he came out and spoke about Rashford and said that he needs to prioritise his football now. Which, according to the Athletic again, you can tell I've done my research this week, um, his camp are quite unhappy with this. They say oh, yeah. behind the scenes, you know how much he works, how much 
he he delayed surgery to keep himself playing for United last year just to help them because they had a lack of options. And then it feels like even if you say you're doing this with the best intentions, you're still starting the conversation, which is the last thing that he needs. Yeah, I saw the headline of him saying about Rashford. I thought this looks this looks a blunder. Yeah. Um, you think, like you said, Rashford's been playing through an injury and then being out injured. So, the, you know, the stuff he's doing outside of football, apart from the fact it probably isn't a distraction to his football anyway, um, has been, you know, whilst injured. So, yeah. to sort of turn the gun on him, I do think that's probably potentially where Oli could have his downfall, where he's having to say, look, the players need to look at themselves. And now he's obviously upset Rashford. They're, they're not going to take that off many experienced no. let alone off Oli. Uh-huh. So, I think. You know they they could turn on him, and the only thing I think he will keep his job before that international break. I think they'll look at some of the games after and think they're winnable, um, and I think they'll probably get get enough in the Champions League games to justify it. But if they were to go down in one of the big games, horribly, I think the nature of the defeat could change the mood upstairs. If Liverpool or Man City absolutely ragdolled them, that could change it a little bit. Yeah, it's 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 a weird one, but um, I guess I don't think they will either. I think I think as, as Jack said, I think he'll have enough of a shithouse performance in one of those games that they'll they'll keep with him. I think. Yeah. Um, so next next thing then, so Jurgen Klopp spoke after Liverpool's five 0 win against um, Watford and said, "We don't have to talk about what Messi and Ronaldo have done for world football and their dominance, but right now Salah is the best." He added. He's in his age where you can still improve and what, and he's doing that consistently. Um, you saw the first goal that he set up for Sadio today. That is an outstanding pass. He brought that from the summer break. After that, he started doing these kinds of things. How I said, we don't have hours and hours and hours to train different things, but the boys improve their game by themselves. The consistency he delivers, all this kind of stuff, maybe people are just now starting to see it. It was always there. He plays for us five years now, but it's absolutely incredible the way he's performed. He's in the top top five since he's been at Liverpool, pretty much, and now he's the best in that. And now he's the best in this moment. The big thing between Cristiano and Messi was that nobody had a doubt about it for years. Mo is already on the top level for years as well, and there's still a lot more to come from him because of his desire. He just wants to perform at a top class level. Um, I guess two questions here, and I'll go to you first, TK. Um, is Mo Salah the most informed player in the world? Is he the best player in the world? Yeah, that, that's probably the question, isn't it? I think I think he's the most informed in terms of when you watch him play. Uh, is he the best? I would still have Messi down as the best, for example. I don't think he's fallen away significantly. So, and I think if you consider he was away out in front before, then I, th- I think yeah. I would still have him ahead uh, with Salah probably leading the chasing pack. He has spoken about, isn't he? Like he's fallen off. He won the Copa America last season, which doesn't seem to matter to, to a lot of people. No, I, I think it's short memories, isn't it? Just because it hasn't hit the ground running at PSG. Yeah. Um, so, and we consider that to be a farmer's league. It probably doesn't help. He's played five games now for PSG, not five full games. The, if you did it by per 90, it's probably, it looks a lot better for him. Um, but last season in club competition, he hit 38 goals and 14 assists and he was spoken about like he had a down year. No, it's insane. Um, Absolutely. 31 and 6 for Salah last season. So the numbers aren't too far different. Salah obviously is doing very well. And I do think it kind of hits home when you do see those numbers. Um, I've seen a thing with Liverpool fans where they kind of say, for every one of these um, 
stats that you keep seeing each weekend, it's essentially um, other than Mo Salah, blah, 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 or alongside Mo Salah mm, for the yeah. incredible records that keep being set. Um, I do think, and I think Jack might have some uh, something to say here. I think Salah is the most pure match winner we've seen in the Premier League probably since Bale at Spurs. And I can hear Jack in his head talking about Eden Hazard. I'll be honest, I think they're different class for a start. And I look at Salah close to Bale in that sense where regardless of how bad Spurs were doing, he didn't like a guy from the left or from the right that could single-handedly make something happen by himself. We look at the likes of the Agueros, the Canes, they're, they're match winners in a different sense in that they're going to put the ball into the back of the net, but they're not necessarily going to get it and grab it himself. I'm, and I'm eliminating Alexis Sanchez from this one, I say, since Bale as well. So. I mean, it's not a bad statement to make, to disregard Hazard in that way. I mean, I get it. I think you put Eden Hazard in this system and the results are very different to him at Chelsea. I think he played under some very defensive managers and some of the stuff that he did, like the whole team was just willing him to do something. I've seen Eden Hazard do more things with the ball that wowed me than Mo Salah has, although that goal of the weekend was absolutely... Wow. You think, <laughs> you think Hazard could do what Salah did against City a fortnight ago? I think he did that against Liverpool not a chance. at Anfield. That exact same goal, if not a little bit better. That, that Liverpool team is a lot different to that City team. I do also think we're we're approaching a spot as well where Salah has started to do this with a regularity. Yes. Yeah. I think you, can, you yeah. can kind of pick out Hazard moments where this is kind of becoming almost the norm for Salah at this stage. I get you. Yeah, I'm not saying it entirely. Like, I, I think like Salah's goal output is just so much better. I think... That is, uh, that is the, the raw numbers are hard to yeah, get past, it, aren't they? Exactly. It's, it's hard for me to make an argument here where because of those numbers are just so vastly different. But I think as a magical player, I just think Hazard has, has had more special moments than Salah, but Salah is very, like, just better. What do you mean? You can't mm. just say that. Mm. I mean, he's had more special moments than Salah. I think so. Yeah. I think so. I think there's, there's been there's mm. been goals. I mean, I think back to that one at Arsenal, the one at Liverpool, the, the Anfield. He scored the, the one at Arsenal. Let's let's, let's nip this in the bud right now. That's some of the worst defending you will ever see in your lifetime. And it's, I mean, the Watford defender wasn't brilliant. It's just a brilliant goal. No, no. But that Salah one, he did that against Man City the other week. Yeah, I know. Um, I'm not saying that. But that you might get your wish, both of you. I mean, ESPN say that uh, with Mohamed Salah's Liverpool contract in doubt, Royale are ready to make, ready to make an approach, including Eden Hazard plus cash. She's got to get plus a lot of cash, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Do you take that deal, TK? <laughs> I think I'd rather just have straight cash and Eden Hazard at the minute as well. If you thought like, if you I've... thought Maguire was pulling a wagon behind him, oh, wait until wait till Eden comes back from an international break. I, I don't know. I, I'm going to stand firm and say that I've seen Eden Hazard do things on his own, whereas Liverpool get Salah to the danger area quite regularly. And he ran they, from the halfway line against it, <laughs> this poor guy. What more he's got to do? It wasn't too long ago where Liverpool fans, although they were, he was banging in 20 a season. Don't say it. Gone. I mean, that did happen. <laughs> Who the it, hell wanted him gone? 
I, I mean, I pretty much all my mates are Liverpool fans, and I just saw Salah. They must be the absolute worst Liverpool fan. That's, that's <laughs> like an Arsenal fan wanting Thierry Henry gone. <laughs> no, I don't disagree. I mean, I don't. I'm just feeding back. My oh, no, you, you can't canvas our uh, our fan base too much. We've got <laughs> we've got a wide range. It's yeah, I, I do think something Klopp said in there where he said. Um, uh, the consistency he delivers and maybe people are just now starting to see it I do agree with that and I put myself in that bracket where I don't I never doubted the, the calibre of player he was but it was very easy when you ha- when you heard these discussions crop up and we have had them for two, three years um, every time Salah would do something spectacular it would be but outside of Messi, Ronaldo or there would be he's overtaken one of them or he's overtaken Neymar I think it's it's only recent where I haven't kind of turned my nose up at that kind of conversation because it was very easy, particularly a couple of years back, to do that. Now, I think you at least have to have that conversation, and I think that's a compliment to to Salah in itself. That if if you're a footballer, regardless of Messi's age, and you're in a conversation where you're debating whether you're a better player than the best player we've ever seen, mm. you're doing something incredible. I've- yeah, I mean, he, he he has been absolutely outstanding. Do you think he's the best in the world, Jack? Currently? Yeah. So, I mean, on form, think? I mean, it's hard to argue the question on form for what he's I doing. I don't think but, the on form one is a debate, I agree. And But actual best player in the world, like TK said, I'd probably start with Messi above him. In my team, who do I want, him or Mbappe or Haaland? I mean, that's... It's difficult. I mean, I wouldn't put him above Haaland for goals output, for what Haaland's achieved so early on in his career. Um, and I wouldn't... I'd if we were playing put... a game of football now, me and you, and we were picking faces, you'd pick oh, yeah, Haaland right over now, Salah. Right now, I'd probably have Salah just because of his pace. Something that... The only thing he has over Haaland... You're now. being very disrespectful today. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, the, the I, thing that Haaland and Mbappe have on their side is, in our mind, how the young they are. I think everyone's constantly thinking of how much better they're going to get. The thing but is, if it's obviously Ar- today, it's just, it's just different, different conversation. Yeah, I mean, he's if got, we were playing like, a match right now and we were picking faces, he's got like sixty-eight goals in sixty-seven games. It's like just that's just insane. Yeah, he's he's a freak. It's just an absolute goal machine. Like, it's difficult to argue with Haaland. Come on. But no one, no one's debating at the moment whether. Haaland is a better player than Messi. People are having a genuine debate with Mo Salah and Messi. I think because he's a left-footed, tricky, fast winger, I think the comparison there to be made, aren't they? Like, naturally. Well, I think he's also always going to do more than... Almost always going to do more than Haaland as well. In terms of he's going to be more involved in the game. Haaland is going to do the assistant that Salah's now had in that Watford game and in the City game. Haaland just isn't going to do. He's not going to pick up the ball there and do that. He's going to get on the end of most things. If you were doing a debate right now and you were saying who's the best player in the world at this moment, Haaland isn't in the conversation. Yeah, the, the debate is going to be between Messi, Ronaldo is going to still be in the conversation. Haaland um, isn't in the conversation, is he? Haaland isn't in the conversation ahead of Lewandowski, Benzema, Salah. The best probably... player in the world. <laughs> Who does Haaland replace of those three? I think you'd have Haaland over Lewandowski. That is... is... He scored more goals. Lewandowski has had a great year as well. He has, but he scored more goals in more in less games for a worse team in the same league. But still, if you if you asked a manager, I don't know if that's true, but if you asked a manager in that league, 
I'm playing a game today, you you can have one of these to win you the game. Almost I, all of them yeah, are going to take I, Lewandowski. I don't think that's... I don't know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I'd choose Haaland, I think, at the moment. Go back a couple of years, and I'd take... Lewandowski's putting up the same number as up a couple of years ago. <laughs> no, I'm, I, I still think... Yeah, I think the last 18 months, Lewandowski's house had a pretty good... I mean, don't get me wrong, like, he's been brilliant as well, but I think if you're asking me which one would I rather... I, I think with both of them, though, they are seen as kind of goal scorers, aren't they? Which, yeah. with Salah, you've got the goals plus a lot more. Is the the, thing, pretty, mean, I know it's a pretty simplistic look. Yeah, the, the thing but, I'd say about Lewandowski as well, though, is like, you're in, you play for Bayern, like, mm. in that league. The amount of opportunities you're going to get to score, if you're that good, which he is, you will put pretty much most of them away. Like, that's... I'm not saying he's better. I'm saying if you were, if you were doing the debate today of who is the best player in the world, the, the contenders are going to be Mo Salah, Lewandowski, Benzema. And Edward Mendy. Obviously. Edward Mendy then, and you got worried. I mean, <laughs> we're, we're talking about, about this. Lewandowski has 15 goals in 11 games. What's That's not bad. Not bad, guys. Dare I say, I don't think it's going to be that. I can tell you in about 30 seconds whether it is or not. But uh, it's current season. I think we're about to be proved wrong, aren't I? I know. <laughs> I mean, 13, he's got, he's got 13, 13 and 9. 13 and 9 with four assists. Not bad. I mean, not bad, is it? Not bad, Kevin. In a worse team, in the same league, and it's like Bayern, the amount of ball possession they have, Dortmund, who've just lost Sancho, I think. At the same difficult. time, you would then even that out and say there's more players sticking the ball in the back of the net than Bayern Munich. I mean, it's easy to, to do these things. I think. I, I don't think Haaland would disagree with Lewandowski being a better player than he is at this moment in time. We got off the market. Haaland, I, is, Haaland is a, an odd guy. Yeah, we got off the market. As, as a Liverpool fan, TK, if, if Liverpool are winning games, does it matter to you whether people are saying Salah's the best player in the world, second best player in the world, eighth best player in the world? <laughs> does it bother you? No, I've always found it a little odd how um, protective people are over that. I think as long as he's doing the business for us, I really don't care. If he's, um, I've said before, but the weird focus on the Ballon d'Or now, I, I do find real odd. Thirty uh, nominees is the most ridiculous. Thing about the yeah, I mean that's obviously stupid, isn't it? Um, How's Mason Mount nominated? <laughs> well, because it's, it's his first nominations. They're starting to go in. Essentially, you're just going right half the Champions League winning team. We'll throw them in off the bat. Um, if you win, you know, if you win a Euros, they get you in. So that's all part of it. That's it's one of those things that the Ballon d'Or was always a. Big thing, say in Spain, for example, I know half the appeal for Michael Owen going to Real Madrid was he's a Ballon d'Or winner. So yeah. it, it kind of that's kind of just spread to us, I guess. And there's a bit more of a focus on it, but I'm not, I'm not really too bothered. Same as as an argument of uh, how good does he rank amongst other Liverpool forwards? It's an interesting debate, but as long as he's good for us now, I don't care if he's worse than Suarez, Torres. The lot. I don't really care where he ends up too much. I don't know if. Um something Klopp's trying to do um, with the interviews at the moment is essentially hyping the Liverpool players up to a point where they have to go out and prove this now. Because Liverpool have had an exceptional team for years and years, particularly when you look at Salah and Van Dijk. I've never really heard Klopp talk about Salah and Van Dijk in the way that he has, even just in the last week. In the last week alone, he's been saying about Van Dijk being the best in the world, the things he can do with the ball at his feet, the way I can work as a coach when I've got players like this that can take on my methods. I don't know if it's 
because he looks at maybe the depth that the other teams have. He looks at maybe he's expecting them to come on stronger as season goes on, that he feels maybe you need to go out there and say, look, it's challenging you to keep that form up. But it, it seemed a bit just different for me than what he does, because usually he tries to almost downplay things, doesn't he? Take the pressure off and then let you go out and do your thing. I just thought it was a bit surprising. Yeah, maybe. I, th- I think he gives you glimpses of that before. Maybe he's done a more sort of concentrated version of that now. Um, he's I think he's it up, warranted things. in some yeah, well, yeah, you, and you could be right. You could be just uh, sort of trying to gas him up for the for the season. Um, well, it could just be being honest. In both yeah. cases, is just shooting from the hip. Nice to hear. The, the other yeah, thing about being positive. The funny thing about yeah, <laughs> some of the ones are great. The um, the, the funny thing with salaries, with I do think you just basically acknowledge you've done similar. I think there's been sort of a almost like a collective awakening to. We're a couple of months removed from saying is Mo Salah a bit underrated to is Mo Salah the best player in the world, and that tends to be what happens. People realise something and then go and maybe go flip side totally the other way, and where he has probably been taken for granted for the last few years and his consistency, and now there's probably been just enough of a drop off in terms of we're seeing maybe Ronaldo's quite what he used to be, even though he's still hitting the numbers. Uh, we're seeing Messi have a bit of a struggle at PSG, and so any sort of uh, downside to how good they are, you'll you'll quickly look to anoint the next guy. If if Mbappe starts hitting hitting those goals, we'll quickly say he's the best guys. People are always looking for a new new guy on the throne, I think. That City game, for me, was like, I knew he was good, but that was like... uh, He is doing things at the minute where uh, it looks like the game sort of slows down around him and he's doing freakish things. That game was one where I feel like I'll be referencing it in like five, ten years' time as just one of those incredible individual performances. Mm. I, I think because those two teams played on such a high level, I think to then stand out on that is probably an eye-opening thing for them. It's, it's one thing to do it in a sort of regular game, but these two teams going at each other, that second half was great to watch. And when yeah. a player stands out amongst the crowd, that's pretty impressive. But if I'm talking about my favourite Arsenal performances, I'm usually doing it where it's been a game that probably we were supposed to win, but the individual performance was something that really made it stand out. My, my, the ones that spring into my head immediately would be Alexis Sanchez against West Ham, the type where you, you look at a player that day and you're like, you, you will not be beaten. Like, if they mm. shot from the corner flag, you would be convinced like it's going to find the corner. And um, Fabregas against Spurs, the one where he ran from the halfway line from kickoff. It's one of those games where everything they touch is just dynamite. Mm. To do that against Man City, who we're debating several months prior, are they the best team that England has ever seen? Just, yeah, it, it shouldn't yeah. be allowed to happen. Really. <laughs> it's a way that City foul as well. For them to be able to do that, it shows a certain level of elusiveness. Um, Olivier Giroud, talking about uh, performances I won't forget, um, maybe for the wrong reasons. Uh, <laughs> he's spoken to the Athletic this week, uh, Ornstein. He's been on a roll actually. He did his uh, interview of Wilshire and his uh, interview with Giroud now is uh, taken on. Uh, well, I hit the headlines as well. I've got a number of quotes from him here. If I give you and we'll react to kind of each quote as we get them. He touched on quite a bit. Um, the one that obviously hit the headlines was he said that his three year spell at Chelsea was more demanding than his six years at Arsenal owing to the pressure of fighting for the title from the start of the season. Um, 
I think that's fair. I, I don't disagree with him there. There's definitely a certain level at Chelsea of um, expectation that you don't get at Arsenal. At Arsenal, I think, in previous years, it's been, we'll start the season and if we're there or thereabouts, come that stage, then we'll cross that bridge when we get there. I don't think we went in expecting, even in our better seasons, to do that much. Um, Giroud said, at Chelsea, when you're not scoring enough goals, they might pick up another striker to replace you. Maybe in a club like Chelsea, you have less time to show your qualities than at Arsenal. That's the main difference in the last 10 years, show that Chelsea have won more trophies. Um, it's worth noting that Giroud was never a Premier League champion at Chelsea, um, for all that he has said there. Um, he should have been a Premier League champion at Arsenal if he didn't have one of the worst six months I've ever seen from a Premier League striker. <laughs> and I'll never forgive him for that, as much of a lovely, handsome bloke he is. Ertzil was two off hitting the assist record in November. Giroud then didn't find the target from January onwards. Um, he spoke about um, the pressure with Lampard. He said, we were ninth when Frank was sacked. Maybe if it was at Arsenal, they'd have given him longer to come back. At Chelsea, it never happens, and that's why you have to be good sooner. Um, he spent, But they also spend much more money than Arsenal. I loved playing at Arsenal with Arsene Wenger. It was my childhood dream, and I could never thank him enough. But it was so hard to fight for the title. Always the target was for us to finish in the top four. To fight for the title was too difficult. I saw the headline. I think Jack tagged me in one of the uh, quotes from the headline as well, which was nice to do. <laughs> He just wanted you that, to see it. That's, just, that's the issue. That quote from him speaking about enjoying his time at Arsenal, I didn't see that quote being picked up in many places, um, surprisingly. The quote about uh, having a much stronger time at Chelsea because of the pressures, I did see a lot. Jack, do you, do you disagree with anything he said there? No, I don't. And do a little dig of him not winning the Premier League, he did win the Europa League against Arsenal. He did, well, he, he, and the Champions League. He, won. he won the Champions League, Europa League and FA Cup during his time at Chelsea, and he won three FA Cups at Arsenal, so three and three, that's about level. <laughs> um, so he's been just as successful at both clubs. <laughs> he was the main man in those three FA Cups with Arsenal. I, I think if you spoke to him about his involvement, I've no doubt the, the thrill at Chelsea and the level of uh, demand... It, it was pretty much the main man for the FA Cup win with that amazing goal he scored in the semi-final against Southampton. And the Europa League. Champions League run. And that Europa League. And their Champions League run where the overhead that overhead kick. That feisty, yeah. Yeah, it was amazing. So he played his part in the Champions League and he was the main man for the two previous, I would say. He's um, also the main man in a failing Arsenal team. This is so the he, thing. He's, he's so, pulling out the failures of Arsenal, but his fingerprints are all over it. Exactly, that's what I mean. When he says about training, um, the issue was when, when he wasn't scoring and you looked to the bench, he legitimately had Yaya Sonogo behind him. That's, that's not even an exaggeration. He, the strikers he outlasted during his time at Arsenal um, from memory was uh, Lucas Podolski, who we never played through the middle because he was too small for the Premier League, really. Um, Yaya Sonogo, uh, Lucas Perez, um, and he may have been there he, he was bought in just after Van Persie left because they did the thing, um, what they did and said they were signing players to play with Grealish and we all knew what was happening. Um, and so he signed and he came in just as Van Persie left. So he was probably there during some time with Schumacher as well. So 
it's fair to say the level of competition Chelsea brought in during that time to play with him compared to what he had at Arsenal. He's absolutely right, isn't he? And wasn't the whole thing that it's basically a free ride at Arsenal and there wasn't enough demands made of you. That's basically what you've been derided for for quite a while now, at the end of Wenger's time, certainly. So well, I don't think that's too shocking, is it, that Chelsea have no. higher standards? The thing that got on his back was he had, obviously, they had the horrific end to the season where we surrendered the league title. And it all lived with me that for all the Leicester fairy tale, we should have won the league that season. Yeah, um, hideous. When you look at it, after that season, we bring in Lacazette. Lacazette, obviously, you looked at his time in France. He was supposed to be our next 20, 30 goal a season man. Didn't happen that way. It came a point where, much like we have now, neither Lacazette or Giroud were scoring enough goals to justify their kind of solidified place in the team. They played better together, but we didn't have a formation that suited that. We then bring in a Bamiyang to replace both of them and Giroud isn't prepared to fight for his place so we give him to Chelsea Chelsea give Batshuayi to Dortmund and the little triangle happened I don't know if Jack would disagree I do think Giroud's best football was played during his time at Arsenal I also yeah. see what he says in terms of he probably did have to push himself harder at Chelsea than he had to at Arsenal yeah I think you're, you're probably right with what you're saying. I think Arsenal were geared up to play through him as the main man, whereas at Chelsea you had to fit in or you were cast aside. So Giroud would have glimpses of what he does best, which is kind of target man with absolutely brilliant feet that brings players into play. Whereas at Arsenal, he was seen as that main guy where you're all geared up to play through him. It, it was I think we also... Sorry. Sorry, I was about to say, I think we always suspected of him at Arsenal as well that what Jack just said was his role. If, if you're not, as long as you've got, he's not your main man, if he can fit in and around that and you can bring him in when he when needed, then that's going to work better than when Arsenal were hoping that he was going to score them the goals that were going to make yeah. them successful. You're like, you need, a, you need a lead man here with Giroud to complement that, really. And that's kind of the way he found himself at Chelsea, wasn't it? Well, it was almost a hindrance to Frank at times, wasn't it? The fact that Giroud would score when he came on because then the next team selection came and it was, well, is Giroud going to start this time? And then he would go with Tammy or he would go with, um, was he, did he cross over with Morata or not? Who? Giroud. Uh, yeah, he was brought in because Morata went shit, I believe. Yeah, I certainly yeah. remember there was, in, in January was starting, Giroud kept scoring off the bench or at least creating off the bench and he was creating an, an awkward situation for Frank. Yeah, his reluctance to use him did fuck him a little bit. Yeah, because every time he did play him, then he, he was mm. balling. Um, but the problem is, though, that you'd then start him and he'd have the same issues that you would have with mm. Tammy. Yeah, yeah, very exactly. effective off the bench. Yeah, like, yeah. Just, you were better, still better off starting with Tammy and bringing him on than the other way around because Tammy wasn't that effective off the bench and Drew had kind of run his race. Um, he didn't have 90 minutes in him, did he? <laughs> <laughs> no. Just before we move on, something that is worth noting from the interview, whether you've seen this or not, um, Giroud referenced a potential move to Everton that surfaced around 2017. Have either of you seen this? No. He says a ghost came to his friend in a dream and <laughs> told him basically, do not sign for Everton. This isn't for you. It's going to be horrible. His friend came to him as a woman, actually. I think he said her name was Catherine. And said, a ghost had visited her and said, look, you can't join this Everton team. 
<laughs> and he followed the ghost, and he didn't, and he didn't, he didn't join them. He also had a chance to move to Inter before he moved to AC. And this same ghost told this same friend, "You're not." <laughs> supposedly, this ghost told him, "It's oh, not going to work. You're not going to fit the system." There. <laughs> what is this? This ghost. I just. Um, and yeah, so he he took this woman's word and said, "Look, fine, I won't move. I'll stick it out and I'll stay at Chelsea, or I'll go to Chelsea, or whatever." And uh, the ghost obviously gave the all clear to move to Milan. But yeah, he's written a book, and in the book he says a supernatural spirit told him. You can't move to Everton. It's a wrong move for your career. Fair play to him. You could have um, just spoken to Moise Keane if you wanted it. It's easy. <laughs> would have been a much easier time. Um, Imagine explaining that to the selling club, though. You know, look, I know you want to get rid of me, but I've been visited by a ghost last night. I can't go here. Well, not even him. Get out. His friend was visited and his friend gave him the message. I mean, he must really trust that friend. Yeah. To not go, is. you're just talking shit. Um, so Raheem Sterling was interviewed in the week while on international duty and he said I've always thought, you know, maybe one day I'd love to play abroad and see how I would come up against that challenge um, having struggled for game time at City this season, he's only played two Premier League games this season um, obviously had a great year of 2020 and, but still can't hold down a regular place in Pep's side um, when you go back to the 1920 campaign he scored 30 goals in 51 games but since then, he's only managed to find the net 14 times. Um, he spoke to uh, one of these uh, summits and he said, if there was ever an opportunity to go somewhere else for more game time, I'd be open to it at this moment in time. Um, football's the most important thing to me. Challenges that I've set myself from a young age and dreams as well to play abroad. Um, as an English player, all I know is the Premier League. and I've always had something down in me that maybe one day I could do it, as I said. Um, he said, happiness is the most important thing. I need to be scoring goals and enjoying myself. Um, six years now, he's been at Man City since joining from Liverpool for £49 million. Less than two years left on his deal. Pep obviously had these comments brought to him, um, these uh, snitchy journalists. And he said, look, Raheem needs to do his talking on the pitch rather than uh, in these interviews. He said, Raheem is our player and hopefully he'll be an important player for us. He wants more game time. Like Riyad, when he doesn't play, he complains. When Cancelo doesn't play, he complains. Some players, they complain because they want to play all the time. But I cannot tell him how many minutes that he's going to play, same as I can't for any other player. Um, should Sterling be starting in this uh, City team first, TK? No, I do think, maybe call me old-fashioned, but the best way to get playing for this City team is to not play shit when you do play. I think that I think that would be really helpful. Um, no, I don't think he can really justify it. It's, he's not getting dross played ahead of him, is he? He's getting good players played ahead of him. No. They're getting results. I, I thought Pep probably handled this pretty well. I thought he was pretty spot on with what he said, to be honest. Um, yeah. And he will probably look at it as no different to Mares and Bernardo Silva, who have been out in the cold before and have come back in at times. Yeah. Um, so I imagine I'll think it's similar with Sterling. I was about to reference Bernardo Silva um, because he's someone who Pep spoke about saying he has a desire to leave. Look, if the offers don't come for him, we'll keep him. And it's then down to him to prove that he deserves to play in this team. Jack, if you take your mind back to the Champions League final, which I'm sure I don't have to ask you uh, too strongly to do. <laughs> when we were going into that game and we were previewing it, the way City were playing, we were looking at Mares as being like the main danger going into that game. Yeah. Um, the form he was in at that time and he's someone who 
now is struggling to get in the team. Uh, only a couple of months prior, he was struggling to get in the team itself. I think then when they played PSG, he really kind of put the marker down, like, I deserve to be started in this team. You support a team much like Man City, where you're almost always going to be overstocked in a position rather than, than, than understocked, particularly, particularly in these attacking positions. And I don't know if Sterling has a leg to stand on here. Do you think, do you think the way he performed at the Euros means he feels that he deserves to be just in there on, on merit or what he's done over I, the years? I think, like, I can understand why he wants to play more football. No one's begrudging him that. I think you're looking at it, though, and say, you leave Liverpool for 50 million to go and play in a team that are willing to spend that on you at that time, which was a lot of money back then. Mm. Like, you make it off your own back in it. If you don't put in the numbers that they want you to do, if you don't play the way you want them to, they're going to do that again with someone else quite easily. And yeah. it's up to you then to get back in that team. And Pep's right in a way that if you're playing for one of these elite teams, like you can only be judged on your performances. And if someone is playing better than you, then that's just that's the way it goes at these clubs. It comes off as a little entitled to me. I don't know. I don't know about you, but it, that's kind of. I don't know whether it's intended to, but it sounds a little bit like he thinks I should be playing. Well, there's no real justification for that at the minute. As we said, he scored thirty and fifty-one in nineteen twenty, and so he screwed himself there because that says to City, this is the level that I can put up when when I'm on the pitch. Um, do you think? I mean, just to be. Quite simply, do you think Raheem Sterling is world class? I've always been a little bit baffled by Sterling, but it it just doesn't really seem to make much sense. But he does like you said, was it thirty one and fifty or something? Did you just say? Yeah, like he would probably be the least convincing goal scorer of thirty goals in a season you will ever see. Yeah. <laughs> I just he can't hit a shot from long range. You'd never back him in a one on one, but he does rack up some numbers. I just, he's odd. Um, that's the I year they went out to Spurs in the Champions League semi-finals, where he was killing it that year. Yeah, I, I think he has, on his day, he's got it. But I do think for consistency, I'd probably have to say he's just fall short of world class, I think. just he, he wouldn't look out of place, the way you describe him, in an Arsenal-Spurs team, would he? Well, the concern is, isn't it, if he did play for that, would we start thinking this guy isn't what we thought? It's I he's in a city team that will create enough chances, have enough of the ball that your numbers will hit a certain level. I think he believes that he's above either of those, and he, he probably is correct in, in the way that he's played it. And what this is the other thing about times. his his uh thinly veiled suggestion that you'd like to play abroad. He's really suggesting is remember Jim and Barca, you're not doing it at the minute. Could you fancy bailing me out? He ain't going well, you know what? I've always had a feeling that I could go to Real Sociedad and do something. Yeah. He's he's <laughs> supposedly going with the, those two or PSG, which obviously he wouldn't play for. That's the only one he's going to, isn't it? It's not. Yeah, sorry. Not like PSG need wingers either. Yeah, apparently Barca won Lingard is the latest uh, gossip today. Um, I mean, that club is struggling. <laughs> do you. So he, he was linked with Real Madrid among the time of uh, that spectacular season he had. And uh, we can have this for the other big clubs. Um, it's hard to believe that when Real Madrid are drawing up their list of targets um, after Mbappe, that Salah isn't too far down on that list. Do you think in these boardrooms, when they say, OK, so what do we do if we can't get Mo Salah? 
how high up on that list is Raheem Sterling? It is also one of those those sets of rumours that does seem to persevere. So either his management are very good at putting it out there, or there is some substance to it. The, the only thing that confuses me with it is that he's still got two years left to run his deal. City is still going to want a half-decent fee. At a time when they haven't got the most money, are you going to risk it on Sterling? I I would find that surprising. And I think it's a year left at the end of this season, which isn't really But even bad. so, they can command a half-decent fee yeah. still, can't they? Yeah. I, I, I don't know. For, the, for these clubs that, if we do assume Madrid are going to be all in on Mbappe, if we know Barcelona are hamstrung at the minute, I, would, I would find Leone's it odd. That they, no, I'd find it odd that they're going to move for Sterling. No, you're, you're probably then looking at a Prem team with big money. I think you can rule out United there. So you're looking at an Arsenal or a Spurs or a Chelsea if you want to stay in England, but it just seems he doesn't. Um, or you're looking at Serie A, who, for all the big players, they don't really splash the cash, do they? Um, when you see these interviews, usually from what we gather, it's either there's something in the offing where you're trying to bring the price down for you because there's a club interested mm. or you're desperate and you effectively feel that you have no other choice. And it feels to me that Sterling maybe thinks that he can put the pressure on City by doing this when there's very few players in that City team who Pep doesn't feel he can drop. Regardless of how well he's playing, De Bruyne is in that team, Edison is in that team, Ruben Diaz is in that team. Aside from the rest, when you're coming in and you're dropping the likes of Sergio Aguero, I don't see how you're Sterling and you think that you can then effectively command that you're in the team. Is whether he thinks this is kind of... Because as much as we said about Mahrez and Bernardo Silva, they did have a whinge themselves. So whether he thinks this yeah. is kind of a cycle, if you like, you do this, you get your spot back in, he goes, all right, then show me what you can do. And then you get that, that do run. Do they do it publicly, though? Because the Bernardo I, Silva one, he never came out. We heard that because Pep came out. I don't really remember Mares doing it. I think Mares said, of course, you always want to play. He wasn't then saying, oh, I'd love to play abroad. No, that that is probably, you are probably right. The the actual, how specific he was with, I've always considered playing abroad, is an, is an odd thing to say. Um, the, the rest of it, as I think Jack touched on, you're not going to begrudge a player saying, I want to play more, because that's, that's probably what you want to hear. But yeah, the, the thing about playing abroad, I did think it was quite, for, for someone else, I kind of feel like, Stone is a, a pretty stand-up guy. Well, I'd probably, for a lot of people, I'd probably cynically say he's got something lined up. It. I'm not sure. I think Sterling might have just been a little bit too honest with a journalist, maybe, in the interview, <laughs> and this has maybe come back to bite him a little bit. Yeah. But at, at the same time, if he can force his way back in by, by doing this, if Pep does go, all right then, show me what you can do. I'm sick of hearing about it. Uh, maybe that is a last roll of the dice for him to try and... Yeah. I think he'd probably quite like to stay at City. In truth, yeah. so maybe this is sort of the last play for him. Well, if we go on to Denver Barr's comments, and if, if you haven't checked this out, it's a hell of an interview. Um, if you go and have a look at it, really good. It's with that um, Ralph Honigstein, um, if I've pronounced his name right. Um, I'll give you uh, some of these excerpts here, and uh, I think you'll quite enjoy them. So um, he spoke about Mourinho was uh, where he started. Um, he said he would use any means to win, any means, including messing with people's heads. He used a lot of psychology on players to see who are the strong characters. One day he told us, if you have a confidence problem, that's your problem. <laughs> Imagine that as your therapist. It's like, listen, this is your problem. 
Yeah, he, he said, um, Jose is the kind of guy who throws a bomb into the dressing room and sees who comes out alive. At Chelsea, <laughs> he says, at Chelsea, it was like, which mask is he going to put on today? Will he be the happy one, the sarcastic one, the sad one, the angry one? At a point, you don't mind anymore because you know he's just playing with you. He plays the game really well. Is he really like this? I don't know. I hope that in my process of learning about the game, I'll have an opportunity to meet him again. Did he give me a hard time? No, he didn't. He didn't give me anything because I never played. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But he did say, um, on one of the three games he did start me before the end of the season was a certain away fixture at Anfield. I remember Jose saying, they think we're a Mickey Mouse team, but we will show them. And we went out fighting. I was up against Martin Skirtle and Mamadou Sacco, and I played an unbelievable game. I felt just like I did at Newcastle. This was the game that changed Jose's view of me, I think. Um, he then spoke about that goal. Um, he said, I only realised how big of a deal it was a couple of years later when people still talked about it. They still talk about it. It was traumatic for them, but we didn't enjoy the fact that we killed their dream. We simply enjoyed winning. Jack, do you think that's accurate? Because I feel like Jose absolutely enjoyed the fact uh, yeah, that he stopped no. them all winning. I think the footage would suggest he did. <laughs> yeah, I think he hasn't read the room there. Um, <laughs> he does, he does seem a great guy. Yeah, he, he does seem brilliant. And I think he's always seemed like a really nice guy. So well, I genuinely think he thinks that. But I think he's probably the, one of the only people that does think that. He, he spoke about um, when he nearly joined Stoke. Um, essentially, he, he wanted to leave Hoffenheim. He'd fallen out with the manager there. A move with West Ham had fallen through. He does eventually get the move there. Um, he said, Stoke City was suddenly in with the pole position with an offer of £12 million. Um, He told the journalist, I'll be honest with you, I didn't really want to go there and play Tony Pulis football, but Hoffenheim said it was either that or come, or, um, come back to them and sit on the bench. So even he's looking at Tony Pulis football and saying, I don't fancy that. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a tale about Rafa Benitez. Um, he says, I remember when we lost 2-1 to Man City in the FA Cup semi-final. Rafa was criticised on our lack of intensity after the game. John Terry stood up and said, no, Gaffer, the problem is that your training lacks intensity. Sat down and didn't say another word. Oh, oh, oh. oh go on, JT. Could you imagine the atmosphere after that? Just... He, there's a point I didn't take the full quote down, but he says in there about how confusing it was for him in particular. He says, like, I thought Rafa was a great guy, he said, but I was coming to play every week. We were winning games and they were still booing and saying how much they hated Rafa. He was like, <laughs> I, just, I still don't understand. <laughs> um, yeah, I think Demobar hasn't quite captured the essence of the Chelsea fan base, has he? No, he's only well, he, missed it. But. He spoke about the um, Newcastle takeover and he says, I've been lucky because I was already a fan of PSG before their takeover and I've been a fan of Newcastle <laughs> since signing for them in 2011. No one can call me a glory hunter. He says, um, I've struggled all these years and now I'm buzzing. I'm buzzing twice, actually. First, because <laughs> of the takeover. And secondly, because I, uh, I read that they're thinking of Ralph Rangnick as a sporting director. I thought, oh, my Lord, Newcastle are about to become something special. He just seems like a really nice bloke, doesn't he? Honestly, if, if you can go back and read this whole interview, because I've missed quite a lot out. It, it's one of the best interviews I've read in a while, because it feels like um, you're just sat in the room having a chat with him. He says that um, he, he spoke with him for about three hours. He said, I couldn't have put everything down that, that he said. And he said he, he walked with him, I think, to go and do the school run with him to finish the interview. <laughs> and he said people just kept stopping Denver Bar for a picture. 
And he says, with each person, he's just so shocked. He says, look, I love this. I, I was so shy, I didn't think anyone liked me. And I see this, and it just brings him so much joy. So he does just seem ah. like, like a lovely bloke. He didn't speak oh, about that uh, goal against United with like, the worst offside trap you've ever seen, unfortunately. But just about everything else you can hope for, he, he does cover in there. Um, they did ask him if uh, it bothered him that he cost Gerard a Premier League title. And he seemed quite confused, as you would be. And he said, not every story has a happy ending. Ain't that the truth? He said um, something on the lines of, um, I don't think Gerard really needs to tell us that everything you did in your career, but you didn't win a Premier League. Like, he had enough of a career that we can look at that without talking about the rest of it. So he seems a good guy. But that makes me feel better about the whole thing. Is I, you know what? I'm absolutely fine with it now. Doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Totally over it. Doesn't matter. I, I do like the idea of all the Chelsea were celebrating and Denver Bar back in there. Like, come on, lads. I think of Gerard here. <laughs> like, well, I, I guess like, <laughs> the significance of stopping Liverpool's title challenge probably for most players isn't going to be particularly relevant, is it? If you're not winning it yourself. I imagine as a foreign player, you probably don't care that much about who does. I, I personally think it's he not said, the same as being a Chelsea fan or being Jose, who is Jose. Well, he said also the fact that um, he hadn't really played, so he didn't really feel like he was Big in part of it. Much. Yeah. Um, yeah. He did say essentially how strange it was because he hadn't played all this time. And I guess this goes to what Jose did in that game. He said Jose phoned him up and said, are you ready? And kind of pumped him up on the phone like, I need you. I need you. It sounds... You know, for all everyone ends up miserable under Jose, this sounds like such great fun. Imagine just like not knowing <laughs> that morning, what he, like, what is this guy going to be? Is he going to be my best mate or is he going to fucking hate me? And it's such a thrill. There's a story in there that's quite long to go into completely, but he has he had a falling out with um, Jose um, the year. How does Denver Bar keep falling out with these people? He seems like such a nice guy. Yeah, he just keeps well, he, repeatedly he, fall out with people. I think it was. Did you win the Europa the same year that Jose got sacked or the Champions League, Jack? Uh, it was the Europa with Rafa, wasn't it? Europa with Rafa, yes. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So he, he spoke in there effectively saying, because he didn't get to play, did he? Because he was cup tied with Newcastle. Yeah. Um, and he says that it took him years to really that wasn't, that, any involvement. That wasn't... It wasn't Jose, it was Di Matteo that got sacked. There's one where he's, okay. No, I'll do two dot stories crossing over. Basically, one game, um, whoever was the striker at the time uh, got injured. Uh, yeah, and Jose, he had the team sheet, he wasn't on it. He'd left the training ground because he'd heard someone had got injured and Jose still told him, look, I don't trust you. He left and then apparently one of Jose's members of staff starts calling him up saying, you've got to come back, someone else got injured, we need you. And he's saying, look, I've got to pick my kid up from school now. I'm going to the mosque. You didn't need me. And he said he refused to come back. And he wow. said it was only after doing that where he said he lost his temper and told him, you don't trust me. There's nothing I can do. And he said, refusing to play that game, he said, Jose trusted me after that. All my starts were after I stood up to him and told him, <laughs> look, you, you, you're not playing me. There's nothing I can do. And he said it's like Jose looked at him like he appreciated his character for doing that. So I don't. Jose seems like Jose is basically the uh, basically that guy in Ted when he gets the interview and his mouths off at him. He's like, you know what? That, that's a pause. We need that round here. <laughs> All right. Uh, 
last bit then before um, we uh, call it a night. Um, I've done a lot, actually. So we, we, we watched the Newcastle game yesterday. I don't think it was news to any of us that they're, uh, they're awful. Um, a senior source told uh, from the consortium told The Athletic last week, um, there's so much to do. We, all, we, all, we always knew that, but the reality has really hit home since you're actually inside of it. Um, they did a survey um, with fans. 97% re- uh, responded calling for Steve Bruce to be sacked. Well, I don't know who that 3% were. I was about to say, yeah. Fair play yeah. to them. When you look now, four of Newcastle's starting back five against Spurs played for the club during the 2016-17 championship winning campaign. Uh, Darlo Lascelles, Kieran Clark, and Matt Ritchie um, were all in there. Um, so it's an aging squad. It's, it's not a very good squad, and they're expecting Steve Bruce to get the best out of it. Um, Newcastle's owners obviously have to kind of get some foundations in place, and I guess we'd all agree now the first thing of those is to uh, get a new head coach in. They can't stick with Steve Bruce. I know I mean, they have that, to get the right appointment, but... That team is awful, right but... One. You saw them come out with that real intent and score that early goal, and you thought, fair play. They look fairly good now, just a bit of motivation, that added motivation that they needed. And then it just reverted to types of, oh, yeah, no, they are actually shit. They can't help it. Yeah, I've seen a lot in in group chats and uh, media articles and Twitter timelines about who Newcastle should sign in January. And 90% of what you see are just ridiculous. Like, People talk about them signing like established world-class players in January, like they're going to join a team in a relegation battle with the slight chance that if things don't go their way, you're then stuck in the championship. Well, this, not is going the to happen. Thing, this is the thing as well. Like They need to get in the Champions League before they start attracting this top talent. Like, this, uh, players been... these days aren't going to take a dip out of the Champions League like they used to because they realise that without Real Madrid and Barcelona being at the top of their game, this... This is a kind of open season for teams that actually want to go and win it. So I got all sorts of stick last week for saying that Newcastle should look at the the likes of Maitland-Niles and Simicass and these type of players because they're not going to go and get the likes of Alfonso Davis and <laughs> all these all these other names that the the like the the mirror or whatever say. Look, this is the Newcastle team for next year. The one that we keep seeing linked and the one that makes perfect sense is James Tarkovsky. Um, out of contract at the end of the season, didn't agree a new one with uh, Burnley. The way Burnley are run, you'd think if they believe they can stay up without him or, or not, they're probably going to take some money for him if they can get any. I know they need someone that pro- can progress the ball, but, but you got to keep the ball out of the net first, haven't you? And Tarkovsky seems a perfect person to do that and cheap. There, there was this... Um play the Spurs game and it just epitomised everything about Newcastle where there was an easy ball out of defence into the midfield. I think Lascelles just booted it straight into the touch. Well, you look at this defence and, and people say that like Lascelles is the guy that should stay. He's god awful as well. Yeah, he, he, yeah. yeah. he is not that, what people thought he was going to be. No, he, he's not somewhere you look at that and you're like okay, we keep him and we get someone alongside it. He's bloody awful. Um, <laughs> well, I know he's your captain, but still, geez, Louise, um, Tarkovsky, whether he can pass the ball 40 yards or whether he's going to hoof it upfield, he's, he's an improvement on what you've got. 
he, he knows what Newcastle are, which I guess is supposed to be important when you're building a team. Uh, English, he, he's the right kind of age, 28, 29, if you want someone with experience who still has some good years in them. His style of play, you can get a good five years out of him. Tomorrow would have been a good signing for them. He would have, but I guess they didn't know what was going to happen no, at, at this point. The other one I've seen them linked with um, is uh, this uh, Cabango playing at Swansea. And I don't know how much of the championship either of you two watch and whether you can uh, kind of co-sign this. But in terms of realistic signings that can give them some upside now and can play as part of a project, he's about as pure a ball-playing centre-back when you look at the stats as there is in um, any of the top three uh, English divisions, 21 years old. Um, he's been playing in the playoffs the last two years, so he's been playing in some high-pressure football. Played in a back three and a back four. There's options that Newcastle can improve, essentially, without going out. And I saw suggestions that, that they can play, they can pay Koundé's release clause. He didn't want to join Spurs. With respect, he's not going to go and join Newcastle now, is he, without seeing something first? You'd think not, wouldn't you? You'd think not. Um especially having been linked with Chelsea as well. Yeah. If, even if you're in the conversation with that, you'll hang around, won't you? Rather than just yeah. go out and get to Newcastle. He's linked with Madrid and Chelsea. <laughs> uh, Champions yeah. of Europe and the biggest club in the world. <laughs> no, they're going to have to accept they're, they're swimming in a different pond at the minute. Yeah, I think Tarkovsky in January is realistic. Um, I've seen them linked with um, uh, Max Kakare at um, Lyon. 21 years old, obviously huge upside. Newcastle have a pretty good record buying from the French League. Um, when you look at Sir Maximin, you look at Kabay, you look at Tiote, um, a lot of players on that list. Add, add a bit of ice in the midfield and some ball playing ability. I've seen them link with uh, Ben Brereton Diaz, uh, to give him his full name now. He's at a contract at the end of the season. Blackburn are going to take the cash, just sort of did with um, Armstrong, and they would do with Dak if the money comes in there. He hasn't missed a minute of the their campaign this season, despite playing in South America as well. Mm. Ten goals in eleven games. You're looking at someone, particularly with the way that Callum Wilson breaks down, get someone in there that can score some goals. He's realistic in the money that Newcastle have. You can move on from him then, and you'll probably still sell him for a decent bit more. There's there's plenty that makes sense. I just don't think Newcastle fans should be getting their hopes up and saying with some of the names they're looking at. Yeah, there's, on the flip side, there's a tricky spot where they do need some proven entities to keep them up. And there is an element of risk of a lot of those players you've said there who, okay, yeah. if you, you, you know, you do all right in the championship, some of them are going to make the jump, but some of them aren't. And Newcastle are in a spot at the minute where they've got to stay up. They can't go down. No, but you at least need some players that are willing to scrap for it. I think some of the players that they're being linked with, like, and I know it's, it's going back to the same ones. I, I don't think Coutinho is ever signing in January where they are anyway, but I'm, I'm backing Ben Brereton to scrap for Newcastle in a dogfight more than I am Phil Coutinho. <laughs> if, yeah. If you're, not, if you're not spending a boatload, you need a squad anyway. They, they literally, you can't name more than four players that you would actually fight to keep. I can't name more than one, actually. Be two, maybe, that he'd fight to keep. Whether these players can go from being starting players to being squad players, and they aren't going to compete overnight, them saying they wanted to win the league within five years, nonsense. But yeah, I don't know whether that's... You can at least make a start. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know if that's, that's made a rod for their own back or whether that's just one of those things we just accept as 
I think that's what you've got to say. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Last thing, because I'm sure we'll speak about Newcastle pretty much every week from from now on with the rumours and things that Mm. we'll see. I saw um, Amanda Staveley getting a lot of stick saying that you can tell she isn't really that interested in football. She didn't look very interested. Chelsea's situation is a bit different because he can't get in the country. None of our owners are coming down for games and watching it and standing up for goals. You look at Kroenke, you look at FSG, you look at um, the Glazers. None of them are getting involved, are they? I think we can't be digging her out saying she's not jumping around, swinging a scarf around her head and going mental. I thought I would, like, I'd missed something here that I was being trolled when I saw people were actually shocked that she wasn't interested. I thought they must be in on something that I'm not in on. Like you said, what business people are interested and there's, I don't think there's been anything about her indicating that makes you think, oh, did you think she was a diehard Geordie? Yeah. <laughs> they're a, they're a fucking god-awful watch. There was nothing about that game that made you think, oh, you're jumping out your seat of that after the first goal. For that. Yeah. Outside of that, they were dross. Uh, did any, yeah, I, I, I was surprised that people were shocked. I couldn't get my head around that. She's spoken with more enthusiasm than I've heard from many other owners in better positions in, in the league. She she sounded more enthused in signing in agreeing the deal than the Liverpool owners did after they won the Champions League. But it's she's saying the right things that she has to be saying, saying like, why isn't Alan Shearer held in better regard within the inside of this club? Why why shouldn't we be aiming high and competing for these things? She's saying the right things. I don't want to be too disrespectful. She maybe doesn't have the face to be the face of the brand. Is is part of the issue here. Um, but people see congratulations on not being disrespectful. That's good. Well, people seem more preferred by how she looks than the fact that she's a Premier League owner. I mean, Stan Kroenke. She's not an owner, Luke. Well, she's the face of the uh, ownership. She certainly is. Stan Kroenke isn't a work of art. I mean, <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's a lot of things wrong with this Newcastle ownership. Uh, their enthusiasm is far down. Yeah, there is. There's also no way for you to act. I mean, look, I mean, if you want to really be serious, when Mike Ashley first started turning up in those games wearing a shirt, they went mad for it. They loved it. Yeah. And look how that turned out. So maybe be careful what you wish for. I see there's a weird, some... weird thing there as well. They, the Newcastle fans kicked off and got the last board sacked and got Mike Ashley in. So there's a weird yeah. cycle here, isn't it? But it's not the fans. It's nothing to do with the fans. Nothing to do with some, it. Something They're not unreasonable. interesting to keep an eye on. Um, she's supposedly, supposedly got big beef with Karen Brady. Yeah, I've heard that. That's, that's sensational. Even I've better. seen Karen Brady being described as sexist for it. Um, it's it's going to be interesting, that. I think it's pretty pathetic, the, the, the way these clubs are going on. And I don't know if Arsenal are involved. I'd say the same thing if they were. Um, the ones that we know are involved are Everton, Spurs and West Ham are supposedly the worst, and Burnley are in there as well. Look, Burnley, I understand. They're, they're, they're one of your relegation contenders. <laughs> if, you can, if you can stop them having a takeover, go through and maybe push a newer space down, I agree. Spurs, I think, have got bigger issues to worry about than whether Newcastle are going to overtake them. Everton, I think, uh, same same kind of lines. Don't pretend it's for ethical reasons. Like, I... Klopp mentioned human rights issues. No, I'm sure Klopp is a moral man. That's not the reason he isn't happy with this Newcastle takeover. There's a lot of people <laughs> pretending here. I saw. Um, I actually they're heard embarrassing the, themselves. I heard the quotes from Klopp. Um, he cited that 
oh, last season we kind of rejected the European Super League, created <laughs> a super team. And I was like, you've just gone and spent about combined 160 million on Van Dyke and Allison recently. Like, it's just people Jack, can't I think you're forgetting they got some money for Coutinho. Oh, yeah, of course, that net spend. In fairness, Newcastle's net spend over the last two years is higher than ours. <laughs> but everyone's been it, crying and bitching that they don't get anything. And the same, by the way, the same, the clubs supposedly aren't happy about the lack of transparency with this deal, right? Which one you say, well, what's it got to fucking do with you anyway? Yeah. But they should be, presumably, all Newcastle fans agree with them because that was what their protest was about. They just wanted transparency with the deal. That's all they wanted. <laughs> they didn't, it wasn't just they wanted Mike Ashley out and they wanted the billions and billions they spent on their team at a cost of anything else. That wasn't what the protest was about. It was about transparency. So presumably, they'll carry on protesting. So <laughs> or maybe, TK, or maybe it was all bollocks. Maybe. They could, have, they could have saved us a lot of hassle if these uh, club owners protested when Roman came in. If we could have put a stop to that early doors, <laughs> we'd have saved us a lot of pain and torment <laughs> getting. Uh, yeah, that, well, that is true. We'd have saved us a lot of pain and torment. And that did genuinely change the league. That genuinely did. Ours. That was a watershed moment. <laughs> last, last bit here, because... Uh, Going to struggle to concentrate. Uh, Once we start away. shouting at the arse on the pod, yeah, it is tricky. <laughs> You're right. I've not been able to get out of my head since my, my uncle said it again when I had to put my head down and people turn around and have a look at him. Um, you were sat in the gay gooners bit, was the issue. <laughs> <laughs> there is a thing there. I mean, I've said it a couple of times here. Don't want to be disrespectful, but ever since I saw that gay gooners uh, banner at the Emirates, there's all the thing. If I was sat in like the front row of the stand, I was trying to have a look over and just see where am I sat in regards to this? Like, <laughs> yeah. of, of like the TV camera panning to it and it's only going, oh, bless him. <laughs> All right, last last thing then. We, we spoke about uh, Klopp Wingen a little bit there and uh, he has criticised Gareth Southgate this week for selecting John Stones over Liverpool's Joe Gomez for England despite the Man City defender playing zero minutes this term. He said... Sometimes Gareth reacts as if you're not as if you are not playing for your club, you can't play for the national team. Um, he said, obviously, there is a special thing for Mr. Stones. He said, Joe is in top shape, he's not being called up, and it really would have helped him. He's an exceptional centre half. I've got to be honest, I'm not sure it's England's job to be developing his players and keeping them happy and fit. It's also in the same presser where he's been pissed off that Curtis Jones got in- injured on international duty. Oh, so I'm a little I'm a little yeah. spun here. The thing the thing with Klopp and bring up his uh whinge in here, I I've said on here a lot of times, most of the time I do actually agree with what he's saying. It's just never gonna look good when he's the one saying it. Like we said the same thing with Ollie actually on occasion. Um with, with this it was just a weird thing to be taking a stance on, particularly with the Curtis Jones thing in the same interview, saying, look, he's a good player and it really would have helped him if he's playing, but we've got some great centre-backs that he's struggling to compete with. I don't understand what, what you're asking here. John Stones has more money in the bank than Joe Gomez does. That's yeah. not John Stones' fault. <laughs> John Stones played all of the Euros as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the World Cup prior to that. So, I actually, and I wouldn't have thought this a couple of seasons back, I'm not sure that the talk around Joe Gomez is such that we're putting him ahead of John Stones. Like, no. If I, if I got offered 
Joe, Joe Gomez or, or John Stones right now, and I may come back to regret this uh, in a month's time, I'd rather Arsenal take John Stones than Joe Gomez. I've seen more of a body of work of, of, of John Stones that I say, all right, I, I kind of know what I'm getting there. I'm getting a guy who does have an error in him, but he's got the ball playing ability there. I know he can he can attack and score goals at the other end. But I, I just don't know if we're not talking about like if if, if um, Graham Potter has this thing and says oh, I don't see how John Stones is in the team and Lewis Dunk isn't. Fair enough. We'll take your argument there. Even when Deutsch says it about Tarkovsky, it's like I don't think he plays the the right way for England, but. I can't argue with your logic. This guy's playing every minute. He's putting in clean sheets. He's winning his headers. I'm not sure Klopp can have this one with with Joe Gomez. Not now. Not when he's not even playing. Yeah, not when he's been out for so long as well. He hasn't got any game time for the last few seasons. It's the age of thing. Managers do this a lot, but they go, I can't believe the international manager isn't picking him. And you know they don't. They're not picking him themselves. So it's like, well, well, why should he? And I've seen a few managers do this, but obviously it's worse with with Klopp. There's but having said that, it's also more of a story because it's got, like you said, we don't make a big thing of like saying it about Tarkovsky or Potter saying about them because we know what they're doing, don't we? They're building up their own player. Maybe yeah. like he said earlier with the club, maybe he's just building him up, trying to build his confidence up because like, I ain't playing you at the minute, but I do like no. you still. When when you saw this interview, if we take out kind of your, your feeling towards it happening, when in your head you weigh up John Stones and Joe Gomez. Do you see a significant difference in their ability? Uh, uh, do you think Klopp's right in that if you're picking an England squad, Joe Gomez should be in there ahead of him? Where do you stand on the two? Uh, I, I tend to agree with you two that essentially on body of work, we've got to go certainly with England with John John Stones because I nearly said John Jones. That's a very different, <laughs> very very different story. Um, yeah, because he he hasn't really let us down really for England, uh, yeah. predominantly. Uh, we know he's got a shaky moment in him, but Gomez does have a shaky moment in him as well. Yeah. Um, the flip side to that, I do think as a result of the injuries and having not had a consistent run, I think people have forgotten how good Gomez was for a spell. I agree. A spell yeah. When, yeah, when we won the league, I think he was very, very good. And, you know, we, we're going to say, well, he's playing next to Van Dijk, so that is easy. But then Stones had his best spell playing next to Ruben Diaz, so... Uh, I think probably when they, if they were to both have a run in a team, there probably wouldn't be much to choose between them. I think Gomez yeah. may be able to prove himself to be better, uh, but he's going to need a, a run that, that maybe doesn't come in Liverpool, actually. Maybe he has to go at some point. I remember being quite passionate when we did our um, World Cup squad pod that Gomez should absolutely be... I think I said he should be starting the World Cup, actually. So Well, well let's... Let's face it, there was a flip flop. <laughs> <laughs> Not long after that, uh, that season with Liverpool, where we won the league, he was the shoe in for the centre back slot. And yeah. Maguire was all over the gaff, and as was Stones in terms of in and out of the City team or, or making mistakes. But anyway, you know, they really did bring Stones in out of the cold for the City. We thought he was done. Yeah. And so Gomez was kind of being penciled in as well. As long as he's fit, he'll get in. We'll have to see who's next. Link with us, which is never a good look. And <laughs> yeah, true. And then now, obviously, Gomez had injured since. Injured with England, by the way, which Klopp, again, seems to be overlooking. His knee seems to... He gets anywhere near that training camp. His knee seems to explode. So I don't know why yeah. Klopp is <laughs> encouraging him to uh, go down there. It's kind of like having Daniel Sturridge going, he needs an international game. No, no, keep him the hell away from it. 
that Kurt, when he mentions Curtis Jones after, he must have gone straight back to his press officer like, they're going to love that. Because there's there, there <laughs> no other reason you say this and, and you reference the fact that you're fuming that Curtis Jones has gone away and you're not happy with England's lack of communication about his injury and all of this. Like, you, you, you save that for the next interview, like when you know the severity of it or something. Yeah, like he must be self-aware enough to realise that that's pretty yeah. outrageous. Yeah. But he's, um, I've said it before, but the problem with Klopp is I, I do think he's probably saying what he thinks. I just wish he wouldn't. It's kind yeah. of, have, you ever, have you ever been around your dad when he's had a row with someone? And kind of even if he's in the right, you'd be like, "Could you just not do this? You're, just, you're embarrassing me a bit, here, Dad. Can you stop?" Yeah, yeah. You're probably quite right saying the dad thing, where he just says what what comes what comes into his mind. Yeah, like even if he's right, you're like, oh, "Can you not?" I remember I remember um, a lad from a senior school, like a tell Jack after coming around my dad's house, and he used to get along with people saying about kind of how lanky he was. I'm turning up, and the first thing my dad said to him was. Price, you're a lanky streak of piss, aren't you? <laughs> you're saying what everyone else says, but yeah, probably not a great introduction to saying it. And I guess Klopp already, you know what to expect from him. And even still, when he does do it, you're like, oh. I, I do it secondhand as an Arsenal fan, so as a Liverpool fan, I must be like, oh no, what was he doing this? It is a shame because when he does give a good interview, it's, it's great fun and you think, this guy's funny and obviously charismatic, but he, uh, yeah, the flip side is he does love a whinge as well. Yeah, a um, lot easier to do when you're winning though, isn't it? So, uh, like, Ollie can't come out and say these same things and not be looked at. And, and the Last... thing is, we said, he also mentioned the, um, the fact that we obviously had the early kickoff after the international break. Yeah. But at least he's saying that after we've won. You know, typically yeah. we'll go, well, you only bring this up when you lose them. You don't say it when you win them. So, I guess he's being consistent at least, if nothing else. Last thing before we go, I did mean to mention this earlier. Um, if you do check out the interview that um, Ollie gave after the loss to Leicester, um, he refers to it and says, um, look, you're, you're always going to struggle in the Christmas period like this. And the interview has to tell him, we're not in the Christmas period yet. Like, you're not using this excuse. And he corrects himself and he's like, no, obviously a lot going on at the moment. Just uh, even the, the interview was like, no. <laughs> Uh, so there we Ollie's go. Got, but, Ollie's got down a supermarket and said they've got the Christmas gear and thought, wow, <laughs> it's Christmas time now. All right, um, might have to save this because Palace are getting back in the game. So uh, on that note, thank you again for listening to another episode of the Spitballing Pod. If you'd like to with just the three of us, maybe you don't want Asia to come back at us, at Spitballing Pod, let us know <laughs> and uh, we'll have a word with you if we need to. Um, Alex, if you're listening, um, but your fate is in the hands of Twitter. Um, thank you for listening. Tune in to Movie Madness on Friday where we're doing Dirty Harry against End of Watch. Thank you. Goodbye.